One question that I find it's easy to ask these days is, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? It's a question that comes up, and maybe even when we come to the Bible and we're going to read the story of Joseph from Genesis 45 as we have been going through the life of Joseph, maybe you come with that same question, like, what in this story is for me? And it might surprise you that I don't think that question's out of line. I think it's okay to ask Like, what in the Bible is for me? Because Romans 15 actually says that what's written in God's Word, what was written even in these stories in Genesis, was written for our instruction. We were meant to learn from it. And I hope you have been learning. I've been really, really grateful for how, just I feel how dialed in we are to God's Word, particularly the story of Joseph's life. I'm grateful for the attention. And thank you. Thank you for persevering and and listening. I know it's a long story over several weeks, but I'm grateful I feel like the Lord is teaching us, and I feel like we've learned. We've learned things about the depths of sin. When you go to Joseph's ten brothers, you see exactly where the heart can go in, in bad and terrible places and the ramifications that has when they sold their brother into slavery, mes- misled their father, and basically left Joseph for dead in their mind. We've learned. So these things are written for us, for us to learn. We learn from Joseph's patience and perseverance as he is falsely accused and ends up living in a different culture, the culture of Egypt. And we learn even there the patience and perseverance is God is still with him and doesn't leave him, doesn't leave him on his own. We learn also just the heartbreaking grief that Jacob as a father experiences when he thinks he's lost, when he thinks he's lost his son. It's good to know that the world, it's just good to be reminded, like the world's full of broken things, and that means sometimes our heart gets broken, and we walk, as Jacob deals with that, even to the point of a few weeks ago, we talked about this famine being in Egypt, and he's got to send his sons down, but he's not going to send his youngest son, Benjamin, because he says, I've I've already lost one son, I'm not going to lose another one. So we see and learn from Jacob's grief. We also learn from the brothers, the ten brothers that conspired against Joseph to sell him into slavery. We learn we, we learn about how guilt works and how guilt doesn't, like you can't just erase it and pretend it doesn't happen. So 20 years later, they're still dealing with the decisions they made and how that harmed other people. They don't move past it. We can appreciate just how impossible it would have seemed in this situation if you had asked Jacob, Joseph, the brothers. It would almost have seemed impossible for this family ever to come back together, much less be reconciled. And yet today we're going to look at the high point I think really what's the high point of the story, it's been building, 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 and we actually ended the message last week at a, a very dramatic point. So picture with me, so here's Judah, one of the brothers, one of the brothers who had sold Joseph, kind of even led the charge of selling Joseph into slavery, and Joseph is real, Judah is realizing that his youngest brother, Benjamin, could be lost, could be become a slave in Egypt, and he's sensing the tension from that, and knowing how deeply that would crush his dad, knowing how that would affect the brothers, Judah steps in. Remember we talked about last week, Judah substituted himself for Benjamin. He pleads on behalf of his brothers and his dad. And this has, a, this has an effect on Joseph, so let's read about that this morning. Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so loud that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. 
Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And his brothers couldn't answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Oh man, I would love to know exactly what all the brothers were thinking of in that moment when he made that revelation. A thousand clues had to click, like, oh, this is why he was asking so many questions about our dad. This is why he like, was so persistent on getting the younger brother here. This is all the random occurrences. This is why we've had such a hassle in Egypt. This is Joseph. This is the one we haven't seen in 20 years. We didn't recognize him. He was speaking a different language. We never knew. We never even had a category for this. And finally, he is here. But then as quickly as they thought about that, they had to go back to that day, certainly. That day, did they hear again when he says, I am Joseph, do they remember the last time they saw his face? The last time they heard him crying out, please guys, please don't do this. Please don't. Please, please. Do they hear that all of a sudden? I I don't know. There has to be a thousand things running such an emotional scene, kind of pulling those threads back together. This I just want us to listen to what Joseph said because this could have gone in a lot of different ways. We know how it did go. And if you've read the Bible for a while, you know exactly how this did go. You know what's coming next, but the brothers surely didn't know what was coming next. I'm Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. What comes after that? Let's read in verse 5. He says, now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. Because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five more years in which there's going to be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of all his house, ruler over all the land of Egypt. So hurry and go up to my father, and this is what you can say to him. You can tell him, this is what Joseph, your son, says. God has made me lord of all Egypt, so come down to me. Don't wait, don't tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you, your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds, everything that you have. And when you come down, there I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have may never come to poverty. Joseph, speaking to his brother, says, And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it's my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you've seen, so hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers, wept upon them, and after that, his brothers talked with him. So much here, so many things, but if we ask the question, like, what's in it for me? There is something here that I want you to take away. There is something here for you, and one thing I definitely want you to learn is to interpret your story. Interpret your story with a God-focused perspective. I want you to learn how to interpret your story, and Joseph will teach us here how to do that with a God-focused perspective. Listen to how Joseph talks. 
Just notice verse 5. God sent me here to preserve life. Verse 7, God sent me before you to keep alive for you many survivors. Verse 8, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. Verse 8 again, he is the one who has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all his house, ruler over all the land of Egypt. So when you tell dad, this is what I want you to tell dad. I want you to tell him, God has made Joseph your son, Lord of all Egypt. What's remarkable, what's remarkable to this is that the 11 brothers and Joseph all knew exactly who had done what for Joseph to end up in Egypt. They all knew it. There's no hiding that fact. And yet Joseph interprets all of that story and says, actually, God is the one who orchestrated these circumstances. Yeah, he knows what the brothers did. He says, you sold me into slavery. But even above that, he sees God working. The subject of the sentence is God. God is actively directing things. God directs and orchestrates. And he does it through real decisions and real choices that you and I make. So what Joseph doesn't act like is that we're some pawns or robots It's just kind of a mechanical thing, the way it's all going to work out here. He doesn't act like that. You don't get that from that story. You can't get that from Joseph's story. No, it's actually very human and very real and very much so God is at work in all of it. Notice how he puts together his story. And again, I think one thing this story of Joseph can do is teach you, teach me how to put together our own story and interpret it with a God-focused perspective. What do I mean by that? I, can, I, can I just pull us a little bit more into the detail of this story? Because he interprets, kind of the first phase of this, he interprets in verse 5 and in verse 7 the pain that he had to endure with a God-focused perspective. He understands like being sold into slavery meant anguish and despair and loss and disconnectedness. These were hard days for Joseph. And there's there's a certain way you rehearse the story of your pain in your mind. What Joseph says, though, is pretty remarkable. What he says is, on the worst day of my life, the day you sold me into slavery, God actually was sending me on a life-saving mission. That's what he says. On the worst day of my life, God was doing something for you, for your children, for your grandchildren. What kind of perspective is that? What kind of perspective can say, on the worst day of my life, I see God doing something that's going to keep our family alive. I see God keeping his promises to us. So there's that phase of pain that Joseph endured, and those words aren't cheap for him to say, on the worst day of my life, God sent me here. But then there's also another dynamic. I mean, Joseph didn't just endure pain. He also rose to power and prominence and had this position of authority. And actually, as he looks back on that, he says, God is the one who made me Lord of Pharaoh's house. God is the one who lifted me up. He blessed me. He ordered. He arranged. He made me a father to Pharaoh. God did that. So this is not a story. As Joseph kind of rehearses the past and goes like, okay, here's what happens. What he doesn't say is, you know what? Here's how I achieved. Here's how when this happened, I just rose above it. And I was, I was confident and I was strong and I, I knew I could and I did it. And 
and I made this happen. That's not what he says. What he says is, God sovereignly arranged these circumstances. It is not easy to interpret those things. I mean, what Joseph did was admirable. I hope I have the patience and the perseverance that Joseph had. But actually, the way Joseph looks at it is he doesn't say the credit comes this way. It's actually God arranged circumstances for his own, for his own will. He did this. I wonder if part of your story of achievements and accomplishments, do you read back into that? Look at what God did. Look at what God gave. Look how God blessed. And there's actually a future dimension of this. There's a phase of where Joseph will be the provider. He will provide in verses 10 and 11. And what he says is, he's looking at his brothers and he says, God decided to take care of our family, take care of your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, he put me in the place to do it. So we're going to live in the provision of God through Joseph. So your family, Judah and Simeon, and I mean, your family will know, yeah, our uncle. God did an amazing work in the life of our uncle and provided for us in this way. Do you see how he has this God-shaped perspective? I say all this because you have a story. You are interpreting your story in a certain way. There's a narrative that you kind of rehearse of, here's how my life has gone. And this is, this is reality. We make decisions based on how we, how we view this story so far. And we get patterns and mindsets going forward for how we're going to live our life based on how we understand our past and how we put it all together. So how do you interpret it? You have a mental timeline that you rehearse. There are critical events and moments and seasons. There are markers and milestones. What am I talking about? None of us are going to be exactly alike, but can I read some of the kinds of things that form our narrative and how we see our past? Some of the events, the seasons. So you may remember that time where you went through this particular thing, or it may be the cancer, or it may be the new friend that God brought into your life, or it may be the marriage, or the addiction, or the tumor, or the birth of kids, the loss, the church situation, the pain, the unexpected gift, the divorce, it may be COVID. It may be the move. It may be a job loss. It may be success. It may be the dementia. It may be the joy. It may be the infertility. Maybe the promotion. It may be the relationship. It may be the breakup. But there are going to be a series of things, seasons, events, markers, milestones that lead you to this point. And I'm saying, how do you connect it? How do you connect those thoughts? I mean, it was powerful for the men that were at the men's breakfast yesterday. What you heard as Steve shared was someone who's looking back on the past with some pretty difficult events and connecting those dots, seeing God at work. I'm asking you, how do you connect the dots in your own story? How do you interpret it? Where was God in that? We all have things that happen to us. Where is God in that? What was he doing? Why was he working? Is this a story of grace? Or can I be blunt? 
can I be blunt, or are you living as if like all your life is, is one sorry story about how everyone and everything has conspired to mess you over? Is that the way you put it all together? Is that the way you put together major portions of your life? Is that the way you kind of rewind and you see all the details leading you to this point? Because if it is, that's going to affect how you move forward. There are going to be problems you encounter. There's actually going to be, all of us are going to have to deal with sin. And can God even work through sin? Well, the story in Joseph tells us he can, but even beyond that, the story of the cross surely tells us that if Jesus goes to the cross because there are wicked, vile men, rebellious against God, they put him on the cross, and at the same time, the cross is not just this thing that people did to God, but it's also the definite, determined plan of God to save sinners, then God can certainly use sin. Sin done against the sin that we've done. And he, begin, he can begin to work and move and restore and reconcile. What story are you telling yourself? What interpretation of that story is loudest in your mind right now? What about the breaks that you have happened to catch? If we can use that terminology, do you go, yeah, I got this lucky break, and then I got this lucky break? Or you go, no, no, I don't believe in luck. I earn this. If you want to talk about the breaks I got, I earn these breaks. I open these doors for myself. Is that the story you tell yourself? Or is it, God gave me this, God blessed me with this, God tested me with that. God showed himself strong here. I, I just wonder. And let me just say, it's not too late to reframe the events of your story. You may have been living kind of in one way of shaping that story. It's not too late to look back and go, wait a minute. I have been profoundly misinterpreting this story. There is another way to look at it. I wonder if God would do that work in your heart today. We're thinking through the narrative, the story in our mind as, as we read Joseph, and it's helpful because with Joseph, we don't have to pretend that wrong things weren't done. I mean, that's not what I'm calling us to do. Act like, well, that, that really, I guess, wasn't that wrong, I guess, somehow. I mean, Joseph never says that. And we don't have to pretend that people aren't personally responsible for what they did. They are. They should be held accountable for that. We don't have to pretend that there aren't lingering harmful effects. It just crossed my mind this week that Joseph had to live two decades without seeing his dad. He never got those back on this earth. And so you begin, like, we can't just pretend this never happened. We can't whitewash that. We also have to think correctly, though, about who God is. Where was, where was he? Where is he? What is he doing through all this we are experiencing? And you're not going to help yourself if you incorrectly assume yeah, I guess God's powerless. That's of no help. Even when you go through trials, it's of no help to go, I guess God just couldn't help out here. Or, or I guess God is just cruel and playing some game with me. Or, I guess he just kind of checks out on suffering, and when we go through our hardest time, we've got to go through them alone. No, you need some clarity. As you begin to look back at the story, how do you interpret it? you have faith and it's not easy because you have to hold tightly to some things you know that are true about God even when like you don't even have the puzzle pieces and you don't even have the border to put the puzzle pieces together. I mean sometimes you're just holding on to I just know a couple things about God and that is going to have to give me like be wind in my sails so that I can have faith to believe. Can I tell you there are other things that I think you're going to need in your life to be able to interpret your story with this God-focused perspective and I think one of those is you know if 
I, I read this a long time ago. It's like you're going to need gospel fluency. You're going to have to be fluent in the language of grace and gospel. What do I mean by that? I mean, there's, there's grammar when you learn a new language, and there's ways to put sentences together when it comes to learning a new language. And you need to know the language of gospel and grace. You need to know what it's like to say, my sin is nailed to the cross, and I don't bear it anymore. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. You need to know that. You need to be comfortable in that language, fluent in that language, because that is going to shape so much of how you read your past story, that God has poured out His grace on you. Know it well. Put it together. Things like Joseph does. You're going to need not only just like fluency and grace, but I think you're also going to profoundly benefit from safe relationships where you can begin to explore, okay, what is happening to me? What has happened to me? Why has this happened? You need people in your life that can help you process. I mean, I think this is part, at least part of the burden that Champ has of leading this study, speaking the truth in love, is that we would be able to speak to each other, helping ourselves. I mean, because sometimes we're so deep in the pain, deep in the fog, we can't even interpret our circumstances. We can't get that God-focused perspective. We need a voice from outside of us. I mean, look around. That's why he's given us a church. We get reminded, like, from the outside coming in because sometimes our head just gets so foggy. We're, we're misinterpreting our story. You need people that are safe people that love you too much to let you just walk away or believe a false story. And you also likely will need time I don't know that Joseph had this kind of language and this kind of perspective. Maybe he did. I am guessing it was a struggle on the first day he was in slavery. And probably the tenth and probably the hundredth. But sometime over two decades, God had worked in Joseph's heart. And he has language. And I'm just saying, you may have to wrestle with things over time. And I'll be honest to say, I think there are some things you may never actually get a full answer to exactly why they happened, when they happened, what all was going on. We don't have the mind of God. I can't promise that you're going to know it all. But I do think over time, you're, you're going to be able to process a lot. Things that are now eight years in my rearview window, I see a lot more clearly. There's also this huge side benefit that I watch this chapter as Joseph helps his brothers who sold him into slavery, he helps them have a God-focused perspective as well. Like, he's the one helping. It's not as if even a counselor or therapist is the one helping them. He's the one helping them. He's the one pointing them to the fact, like, you know, what God was up to some things here. So you don't have to quarrel, and you don't have to get angry, and you don't have to get angry with yourself, and you don't have to be in despair. Like, he's helping them embrace this God-focused perspective. I do want to come back to that, but can we keep reading? In verse 16, let's just keep appreciating the story. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers have come, like it pleased Pharaoh in his service, everybody's happy. Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan. You take your father, your households, you come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. You shall eat of the fat of the land. And Joseph, you're not only authorized, you're commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones, your wives, bring your father and come, have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, gave them provisions for their journey to each and all of them he gave, change of clothes, put 
To Benjamin, he gave 300 shekels of silver, five changes of clothes. He, to his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, provision for his father on the journey. And he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, you don't need to quarrel. Like, guys, no finger pointing here. It's settled. It's done. Don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt, and they came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he's ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart became numb. He couldn't, he didn't believe them. When they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel said, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. I mean, what is going on in Jacob's head? It had to be so disorienting, dismantling all the ways he had thought, all the reality he had known had just changed in a sentence, like, Joseph's alive, and he's told us to go down to Egypt. Can we drift into chapter 46? Because verse 1 of that says, so Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob. Jacob said, here I am, and he said, I am God. I'm the God of your father, and don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. God says this to Jacob, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again in Joseph's hand. Shall close your eyes. In other words, Joseph's going to be with you when you breathe your last. Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, their wives in the wagon that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan. They came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with them, his sons and his daughters. His son's sons, his son's daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. So in that life of Jacob there, that instance in the life of Jacob, what's in that for you? Come back to that question, what's in it for me? It's a little bit complicated, stories like this. Because it's a very specific encounter with God. I mean, God says to Jacob, I am God, calls out Jacob's name, Jacob, Jacob, in a vision in the night. Very directive, I am the God of your father. You don't have to be afraid to go down to Egypt, whereas like Abraham and Isaac went down to Egypt in disobedience, you actually can go in blessing because Egypt's going to be the place of great promise there in Egypt. This little, this little family that's expanding is actually going to become a nation in Egypt. That's where it's going to happen. And Jacob, I'm going with you. You won't go alone, so every... Every mile this wagon goes, I'm with you. And I will bring you back to this land. This is the land of promise. But before that happens, you're going to have a personal reunion with Joseph, and he'll be with you until you die. I mean, that's very, very specific. And God is so kind to give Jacob that reminder, assurance, and encouragement. Specific promises even attached to his death. And this is what I don't think. I don't think Because that happened, I don't think I can automatically expect tonight to hear a vision of the night. Curtis, Curtis, let me give you details on how you're going to die. 
and here's the move, and you're, you can be okay making this move at, at this age. Or I mean, I, I don't expect to get that sort of level of detail. I don't, I don't think it's wise to expect that kind of thing. So if I don't have like specific visions giving me specific information in how I'm going to even face death, then what can I learn? I can learn, along with Jacob, to walk by faith, I mean, if Jacob is walking by faith in God's promised plan, well, I certainly can learn to walk by faith in God's promised plan. I understand the promise is entirely, the context is different, but I I do realize that, yes, God rehearsed the promises he had already made to this family, and God is good, and God also gives grace to walk by faith. And maybe you just need to hear again God's promised plan for you. So maybe this is all very familiar, but maybe you just need reassurance because whatever you're dealing with today is so hard and so complicated. Maybe you need that assurance. The character of God is reliable. The words of God are true. And they lay out God's plan for us. And God's plan includes this, that before the foundation of the world, God knew us and loved us. For those who are in Christ, because sin has entered into the world and messed just everything up. We all inherit the trait of sin. We needed a rescue and we couldn't save ourselves. This is all part of God's promise plan. And God initiated that rescue to save us. When it came to saving us, God didn't give you a workbook to follow. He didn't give you a course laid out like do this, do this, do this. He doesn't give you a benchmark of giving. If you get give X amount of what you have, then maybe I'll let you. And he also doesn't give you like, I need a streak of days where you don't do anything wrong. And I need you to keep that streak for a certain amount of days and then everything will be fine. What God does in his rescue plan is he gives himself. He gives Jesus Christ, God the Son, in the flesh. Jesus comes and lives without sin and loves humans like us, sinners like us. Even goes to the cross, and we we sung about that this morning, to atone for sin, to reconcile us to himself. This is the saving plan. So when we talk about God's promised plan, you go, I need God to, to give me promises. He has, he has. This is exactly what he's done. This is the plan of rescue for us, to restore a world, the perfect communion with him. And my question for you would be, has that come alive in your heart? You know this, not from a distance, but like up close and personal. Have you come to the place where you turn from everything else and this now becomes your story? You factor your past, but like the past all, like Christ factors into that story. I mentioned that Jesus came to initiate a relationship, which is exactly why he says, I'm not going to leave you and I'm not going to forsake you and I will be with you and I will send my Holy Spirit to you. He wasn't just interested in like giving, building us a, a bunker to not get destroyed from the world, but he, he gave us promises to be with us, promised that his Holy Spirit was going to produce fruit in us that's going to, like, we're going to change. This is the plan. This is God's promised plan. God will give us the power for everything we need to live a godly life. He's going to lead us in the paths of righteousness, and God in his perfect plan decided it wasn't just going to be you individually, and you individually, and you individually, but collectively. He's going to bring a people together. 
So it wouldn't be just about you and God. We would have communion with each other. And we would come together as a church, like a family of believers like Ogletown. That our faith would grow in that sort of dynamic. And then he made this promise, not just to us individually, but to us as a group. I will come back for you. Like I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I'm finished, I will come back and we will be together. And that will be a place of no more tears. We have a place of perfect fellowship. That's why it's called the new heavens and new earth because all of this former painful earth is going to pass away. You put that all together and as concerning as this world is to me, and believe me, it's concerning, as anxious as I'm tempted to feel sometimes, and it's quite a bit of anxiety that I'm tempted to feel, as disappointed as I am left in, in certain circumstances in life and as hard as some things are, I still believe like, Okay, you have given me so many promises, Lord, I can take my next step of faith because I know you have a plan to restore and reconcile the entire world. So yeah, Jacob got promises from God and I'm just saying you have promises as well from God. You have a plan. You have steps of faith. Second Peter 1 calls the promises we've received great and precious promises. You can Take that next step of faith because God is wise and good and powerful. What's in it for me? It's okay to ask that, not because these stories are just all about you, but because these stories are God's revelation. It's like his way of telling you, this is what I'm like. This is who I am. This is how I treat people that are in covenant relationship with me. This is how I care for them. This is how I don't give up on them. This is how I work all things together for their good. So, I don't know if it's like totally okay for pastors to give homework, but I'm going to give you some homework assignments today. All right? I've got four. So here's the homework. Because I I feel like we could hear this, but I, I want you to do more than hear. The first thing I want you to do is to write out some milestones and markers in your life. Because we're all going to have different ones. So write some of those out. Write out some of those miles and marker stones in your life. You know what they are. Maybe if you want to write out three to five, and if you're an overachiever, like extra credit, you get write out out seven to ten. Write out however many, like big monumental kind of things in your life. Painful, happy. And then the second thing I want you to do with that is I want you to ask God for his help to so that you might see his hand in those seasons, in those events, in those milestones, in those markers. Because sometimes it's just hard to see. And maybe that clarity will take a while, but I, I do think you can ask God for it. Like, help me see it. Help me see how you are working. And then the third thing, kind of building on that, is I want you to rewrite those milestones and markers with God as the subject. And that isn't, like, this isn't always an easy exercise. So what I mean is when Joseph said, like, God sent me here. That's God as the subject, even though we know what the brothers did. God made me ruler of Egypt, even though we know Joseph was faithful. How do you kind of fill that sentence out? Because you're, you're now interpreting the story through the lens of what God has done. And then finally, as you rewrite those milestones, I want you to rehearse your story with someone else. And let me just say, if you have children or grandchildren, or if you have nieces and nephews, it'd be great for you to rehearse that story with them. They need to know that story. They need to know. I mean, my family needs to know 
how God has worked in my life. They need to know the circumstances where only God could arrange for me to meet Shauna. And they need to know how only God could arrange for me even to be pastor here at Ogletown. There are so many circumstances. Like, God had to do this. This wouldn't have just happened. There's so many other ways this could have gone. And you say, I, I don't know that I have a family member that I can talk with like that. Well, that's, yeah, you've got a church family. So rehearse that story with, with someone here. You go, I still don't know who I'd reach out. Then send any of the staff an email. We'd love to have that conversation. What that's going to do for you, this is what it'll do. It will be foundational for you in putting life together going forward. It's going to help you see the world in a different way so that you don't grow old and cynical, bitter, and frustrated at what God's done. You're actually going to have a narrative of God's grace. And when the next hard thing, and the next hard thing, and the next hard thing, and the next hard thing comes, you're going to be filled with gratitude and joy because you've interpreted your story in a little bit different way. Let me ask God's help to do that. Father, I have no doubt that even this exercise would be could dredge up some really tough stuff. And maybe we're still in a period of time where you're writing that story and we're not sure how you're the subject of this sentence just yet. So for my brothers and sisters in Christ, for my friends that are, this will be a struggle. I pray that you would give them grace in that struggle. But I pray that they would, I do pray they would see you And where you are going to bring the body of Christ around them, I pray that we would all be able to help one another interpret our stories in God-focused ways. So Lord, I just voice my prayer of thanksgiving along with, I'm sure, hundreds in this room, their prayers of thanksgiving that you have done more than we could imagine. So let us walk by faith in light of that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.